Multiple sclerosis is a devastating disease, and the cure seems far away. What's being done to help patients right now, and who's doing it? You're listening to ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, attorney and Dr. Bruce Bloom, President and Chief Science Officer of Partnership for Cures, a nonprofit that drives cures to patients by repurposing current therapies for new uses. Joining us to discuss multiple sclerosis research is Scott Johnson, president and founder of the Myelin Repair Foundation. Scott was named in 2006 as one of Scientific American Magazine's top 50 worldwide leaders for business, science, and policies. Prior to founding the Myelin Repair Foundation, Scott led three startup companies and served as an executive at the FMC Corporation and the Boston Consulting Group. He holds an MBA from the University of California, Berkeley, and a BS in civil engineering from the University of California, Davis. Scott, welcome to Reach MD. Thank you, Bruce. Thank you for inviting us to participate today. So, Scott, what led you to start the Myelin Repair Foundation? Well, uh, I guess it really goes back a long time. About 32 years ago, I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis when I was about 20 years old and in college. But I pretty much ignored the disease for a good 25 years. As most people with MS, they typically try to hide the disease as as long as they can and ignore it. And I was able to do that for quite a long time. And and very fortunately, the course of my disease has not been as severe as uh, many others. And I was able to pursue a business degree. But this was really triggered by an article that I saw in Business Week talking about repair and MS. And that really caught my eye because... My understanding up to that point was that you could not repair the central nervous system, that that was an impossibility. And most of the focus on MS research had been on looking for a cure and and immunology of the disease. So, like I said, that really caught my eye. I contacted the scientist at Yale that was mentioned. And that led me to talk to a whole series of scientists and, and really become educated a little bit about how academic medical research is conducted and a little bit more about the possibilities of repair. So when did the Myelin Repair Foundation start, and how long was it after this initial moment when you read in Business Week? I saw that initial article in February of 2001 and spent about the next nine months just trying to educate myself, as I mentioned. Because I was out in Silicon Valley and had been involved in startups before, I approached this much like a commercial startup. So the first thing that I did was pull together a group that we called our business advisory board, which was kind of a a kitchen cabinet to help advise me as I was just trying to learn more about this area. So that group started meeting in January of 2002, and then I went to a Gordon conference in February of 2002 uh, that was on Milan. And, And at that Gordon conference, there were about 150 scientists from around the world who were specializing in looking at myelin and myelin biology. And so that was a real education. And so that's when we really decided to move forward with this. And so incorporated in late 2002 and began putting together our business plan in 2003. Then people began to kind of coalesce around the group as, as people learned about what we we're doing. That's when Rusty Bromley, our chief operating officer, joined us in early 2003. So, again, we approach this like a startup company, even though we are a nonprofit. And so the first thing we did, as I mentioned, was to put together a strategic plan. And then we brought our scientists that we'd selected. And, and, and the way we selected the scientists was very different than other nonprofits. Most nonprofits put out a request for proposals and get a whole raft of proposals back that they sift through with a peer review process and then make grants. We felt like, just like in a, in a company, you don't just put out a request for people to join your company. You select exactly the people you need to fulfill the roles that are needed to execute your plan. So the first thing we did was to identify the expertise we needed to attack myelin repair as, a, as an objective. 
and identified the best scientists in the world in each of the areas of expertise we needed. We identified five PIs at prestigious universities and invited them to fly out to Silicon Valley so we could suggest this new way of working together in a collaborative environment. Do you think it made a difference to starting this up that you were an MS patient and that you had this passion around it, or would this have been the same if you would have just been a startup business owner? That's a really good question. I'm not sure on that. I guess I think that it wouldn't have mattered initially. I think that the idea was very intriguing to the principal investigators. I think that you know the individuals that we'd selected were all probably in their late 40s or early 50s, had all been publishing in great journals for a long time, and were well aware that to do really great work, you had to be in a pretty narrow silo. And that to actually accomplish a broader goal, like mild repair, they couldn't do that on their own. And I think they saw what we were trying to create, this this environment where they could really work collaboratively towards a larger goal, as very, very interesting. And I think that was what intrigued them initially to participate. On the other hand, I think that the fact that I have MS has been a benefit to the team over time because it's a constant reminder of really what we're striving for. And so, and I I think it reminds them that anyone could be struck by a disease like MS at a relatively young age. And so I think that is a motivating factor. And I think probably especially for maybe the students and postdocs in the labs who are toiling away in the lab, I think having that view of some broader goal that is a difficult goal to be striving for, I think that really does help the organization. Is there a sort of a reverse support, too, when you bring the scientists in to talk to donors, board members, and others and have that personal interaction? Does that help move the organization forward and the fundraising forward? Absolutely. I think if you talk to any of the scientists involved in our effort, they'll tell anyone that they're doing fantastic science and that the science that we're funding is work that could never get funded by any other group because oftentimes it is... uh, a little bit more uh, risky, and we think that's important. We want to fund work that has the greatest potential to make rapid advances and fail fast if necessary. So they will tell anyone that they interact with, I believe, whether it's scientific colleagues or supporters of the Mount Repair Foundation or others, that they're doing terrific science, that this group is truly unique in terms of the power of the collaboration. And I would say they uh, are very eloquent about stating that. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Bruce Bloom, and I'm speaking with Scott Johnson, the founder and president of the Myelin Repair Foundation, about how this foundation is finding a way to provide treatment for patients that have MS right now. So what kind of progress has your organization made to date in the four or five years since you started? We actually started funding research in the summer of 2004. So we're just past the three-and-a-half-year mark. And I think we did something that was very unique for a medical nonprofit. We set a very specific goal. Most organizations seem to measure themselves by how much grant money they give out or how many papers might have come out of the work that they funded. We don't measure ourselves that way. Our objective from day one was to make sure that we would get a treatment to patients. So that makes you think very differently about the whole process. We're not just funding academic science. We have to think about how that work can be transitioned and handed off to commercial entities to actually commercialize it. And we want to be involved potentially all the way through clinical trials and release of the product. So we set a goal of licensing our first target within five years of the time that we started funding research. I'm not aware of any other organization that has stated any kind of goal like that that's that concrete. And again, that's what you would do in a business environment. 
we feel very good that in the three and a half years to date, we've made so much progress that we are very confident that we will achieve that first licensed target by the summer of 2009. So we're very pleased with the rate of progress uh, across the board. The team is functioning incredibly well, and we have the interest of commercial entities. Just recently, we've had meetings with a couple of biotech companies to present how we operate, how different that is from, from typical organizations, and what our initial science is to give them a flavor for the progress we've made. And they've expressed great interest in talking to us about licensing targets. So tell us about this licensing target process. So what does that really mean? What target are we talking about? And when you license it, what will happen next? Well, uh, I'll answer the second part first. Clearly, there's no way that a nonprofit can put a drug through clinical trials to do drug development and, and perform clinical trials. As most of you probably hear in reading articles or uh, you know, from other sources that it's about a billion dollars is the way what they say in the industry is what it takes to go through that process. So there's clearly no way that a nonprofit would have the money to do that first. And second, those are really unique skills. Biopharma does a lot of things that really no one else can do and has huge experience in that area. So our objective is to position the putative targets that we've developed to do the early target validation and drug discovery to position them so that a company can make a rational decision about in-licensing them. And we've learned really over the last year and a half as we've gotten closer to this process that essentially we're competing with internal programs. And internal programs have a data package that encompasses a broad array of data. And we realize that what we need to do is if we're going to compete with those, that we need to have a similar data package to present to companies. And so that's really what the phase we're in now is. Obviously, we will continue to identify targets because it will take many targets entering that uh, pipeline to actually have a, a treatment emerge successfully at the other end. But the second thing that we are doing right now is is for our highest priority targets, is undertaking that process to position them so that they can be evaluated by companies and then they can make a a licensing decision. And these targets are for a drug that would stop the destruction of myelin or actually cause the deposition of new myelin back onto the nerves? That's a really good question. What our objective is, is to repair myelin once it's damaged. And it could be in that process we learn a way to prevent damage. But more, more likely, we're looking at a various means of repairing damage once it's occurred. And we believe, it, it looks like in the early stages of disease, that there is quite a bit of repair taking place naturally. Some scientists believe that the relapsing, remitting nature of MS is really because what happens is you have an episode, you, you have disability, and oftentimes you regain a certain amount of function. Some people might regain you know, only 5% and get worse pretty quickly. Others might regain 95%. So we believe that there's a great deal of repair taking place naturally, especially in the early stages of the disease. So our objective is to, whenever damage does occur, if we could repair that quickly and efficiently, then for someone with MS, while it's not a cure because they'd continue to have episodes, it would essentially stop the disease in its tracks. So where can patients and physicians find out more about the work you're doing at the Myelin Repair Foundation? We have a great deal of information at our website, which is www.myelinrepair.org. It's one word, M-Y-E-L-I-N-R-E-P-A-I-R.org. And there's a great deal of information there, not only about the unique model that we employ to accelerate research, but also it gives our research progress summaries, talks about all the people involved, 
and uh, has lots of general information. So it's, it's really a wealth of information for learning about uh, how we operate. The cure for MS might be decades away, but the Myelin Repair Foundation is determined to find a way for MS patients to live a long and healthy life while a cure is being found. I want to thank our guest, Scott Johnson, president and founder of the Myelin Repair Foundation, and an MS patient for taking the time to tell us why he's so passionate about this foundation and why the work they are doing is helping MS patients. I'm attorney and Dr. Bruce Bloom, President and Chief Science Officer of Partnership for Cures, a nonprofit that repurposes existing treatments for new uses. You've been listening to ReachMD on XM157, the channel for medical professionals. This has been the Clinician's Roundtable. Stay on top of the latest medical topics by visiting our new website at ReachMD.com, where we welcome your questions and comments. Use the promotion code RADIO when registering online and receive six months of complete access to our on-demand library of podcasts. And thank you for listening.